Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am the real Slim Shady, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled during their first and only season. And sometimes we review entire streaming services that were canceled in their first season. Isn't that right, John? That is right. We are here on the grave of Quibi. For our third installment of Quibuary. Having a little picnic on its grave. Yeah, we got some nice wine, a a good uh, Chianti, uh, and uh, some great cheeses. Right, I have some whipped cream for in case uh, no one else is around, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, get those whippets. Destroy those brain cells. (laughs) But we are here figuring out what Quibi did, what Quibi left behind, and ultimately what made Quibi one and done. We have previously talked about competition shows. We've talked about drama shows. Today, we are talking about some reality shows. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about what we've been watching. Ian, what, what's going on? What's, what's, what's new? So I recently rewatched Little Miss Sunshine, which nice. is a movie I've seen... A hundred times. Not really. I'd say probably 25 times, but I hadn't actually watched it in probably 10 years. Hmm. And I got so much more out of it this time than I did watching it when I was younger. So Natalie had never watched it before. What? And we were looking for something to watch Friday night. And I was like, oh, it's such a nice movie. You know, it's easy. It's quick. It's fun. It's dramatic. Um, let's put it on. And uh, me and her had talked about watching it probably for like two years, you know, until we finally got around to it. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing to me these um indie movies that win best screenplay at least I'll say 2002 to 2015 or something, where they're just so efficient. They are really effective in like their character development. You know exactly who they are and what they want, and they just get right into the plot, and I love it. It's like, it reminds me of Up in the Air, actually, where I uh, read a lot of friends like screenplays, and you know, I've done this too, where you think in order to understand a character, you need like a big monologue or something. You don't. You just need like, one or two frames Mm -hmm. and you can understand somebody like that and it's it's great because they have it's an ensemble cast you get to know them really quickly and then all of a sudden they're eating dinner together and then we get the call about little miss sunshine and boom we're in it you know it's just like a really really good lesson for screenwriters out there and I never got how much of the movie was about winners and losers before. I know Greg Kinnear talks about it a lot, mm-hmm. but like the lesson of the movie was the real losers are the ones that don't even try. And yeah. it said like halfway through the film, but then I never really saw the ripples of it later in the third act 
like I did before. And it was just like, it's a great movie. It's really well written. And I never understood before that the dance at the end was a strip tease. I just thought it was like funny. <laughs> but this time around, I was like, oh, that's like, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, good on you for not sexualizing the 10-year-old. No, not until uh, I realized that that's what they did now. <laughs> yeah, it is a really wonderful, wonderful movie. The thing about you get the sense of these characters so quickly. I mean, that's also a real testament to the cast of that. I mean, top to bottom, that ensemble is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. they give a look, and it's so filled with subtext. But, I mean, it's also, we think about some of the sort of bigger set pieces of the movie, and some of them are sadder. The grandpa dying, Paul Dano realizing he's colorblind, which is also a fun fact the scene where I realized I was also colorblind and that I would never fly planes. <laughs> Only it wasn't life or death for you. You were just like, what What A are they talking about? I only see red. I don't see any green. What are they talking about? And you and Paul Dano in real time figured it out together. And only one of us is the real Riddler. And that would be me. So, John, you had yourself quite a movie weekend, didn't you? Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, eight movies over the course of three days. I attended Sundance virtually, and by that I mean I bought tickets, and I clicked on some links, and I watched some really cool movies, and only one movie that I didn't really care for. But since we are talking about reality shows today, I'll go with my favorite documentary that I saw, which is a movie called Bad Press, which was everything that I could ever want out of a documentary. Let's check some boxes. It's about journalism. It tells a story that I had never even considered. It is thrilling. It has great villains. It has a wonderful protagonist that is so compelling to watch on screen. It was just exceptional. So the basis of the story is something that I didn't even know was a thing. Apparently... Native American tribes in the United States, because they are sovereign nations within the United States, they don't Mm -hmm. abide by the U.S. Constitution. So Mm -hmm. each tribe has their own constitution. And of the 500 plus sovereign nations within the United States, only five of them have codified freedom of press. Wow. Which is crazy. So it follows this newspaper publication, media publication, the Muscogee Creek Nation in Oklahoma, and just their fight to maintain freedom of press after they have it and then lose it, and what the sort of ramifications of that are in terms of like what happens when you go under prior review, what does accountability look like, how can we tell accurate stories in this time. It's amazing. And it's so people-driven, and it made my heart sing. I love, love, love this movie. I hope it gets some good distribution. Right. I mean, it could come out over the summer, or maybe it comes out in a year and a half. Mm -hmm. That's the frustrating thing about seeing great movies at a film festival. But John, my one question for you is, did it have a scene powerful enough for you to realize any sort of visual impairment? No. 
I could confidently say that my vision at the beginning of the movie was the same as my vision at the end of the movie. There was no, like, they're reading the Sunday edition, and they're like, I love the Sunday edition because it's in color. And you were like, what are you talking about? I did not have exactly that. And, you know, it really breaks my heart when a movie can't open my eyes in the literal sense, like Little Miss Sunshine can. (laughs) But it still makes me happy because I can look up at that screen and be like, it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! It is week three of Quibuary, and we are still... God, just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And we are still in 2020, and today we are talking about the reality shows of Quibi. Two sort of different types of reality shows. We're going to be talking about Bad Ideas with Adam Devine, which is sort of a travelogue get host into crazy situations kind of reality show. And then we're going to be talking about memory hole, which is more sort of cultural commentary, that kind of thing. Yeah. If you're here because you thought that we were going to get into very miniature versions of real world versus road rules, then you are going to be disappointed because we would have covered those on the competition episode. Well, yeah. Okay. But what about, (laughs) What about real world or road rules? I think road rules is a competition, but real world would be, yes. Okay, nobody knows what road rules is. They only know it in regards to real world versus road rules. Well, they've been calling it the challenge for 10 years, Grandpa, so get woke. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) Can't keep up with these MTV generations, John. That's like the generation before us, man. I'm an old soul. What are you trying to say? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Ian, we've talked about a few reality shows on this show. We've talked about Cooking with Paris, I would consider a reality show. Adults Adopting Adults, a criminal act, but also a reality show. Would you call Bam's Unholy Union a reality show? I would call that a reality show, yeah. Okay. It captures people in a place and time, and it's quote-unquote unscripted. But, as we know, nothing is real. Everything is a facade. I feel like there isn't a reality show that we've done that you've liked. Do you have the ability to love reality? Well, there is a one-and-done show that I really want us to cover at some point called My Big Fat Obnoxious Fiancé which was one of my favorite shows of all time. Because you're a sadist? Did you, do you even know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so there was a woman who thought she was going to be in a reality show that was like a fake wedding, and if they get fake married and convince their families that they're getting really married, then they'd win money. But the actual reality show was that they hired an actor to be the fiancé that she takes on all these family outings and he's so obnoxious and she has to be like, yep, I love him. We're getting married. And her family's like, no, don't do it. And she's like, yep. Uh, Looking back, uh, it probably is a really tough show to watch, Uh, but that is one of the only reality shows I can think of 
really enjoying competition shows. There's some competition shows, but I'm trying to even think of like unscripted stuff that I watch and it's all just like Discovery Plus stuff that is kind of scripted, like like murder shows, you know, that are looking back at something from the 90s. I think a good reality show sort of opens up your perspective to something that you didn't even think was a thing and then it brings you such immense joy like i hadn't once thought about super yachts and (laughs) 350 hours later i have consumed all of below deck wait they're hour-long episodes oh yeah oh my god i mean 45 minutes with commercials but yeah 42 or 45 because we found with my so-called life that 48 there is a big difference yeah i think it's like 42 44 (laughs) something like that yeah. I consider myself above deck at this point because of how much below deck I've consumed. God, John, I never thought about it. I really might not like reality shows. Or at least I don't seek them out. Well, that's what I'm here for, is just to shine a light on the horrible joy that you are missing out on with trash TV. Well, I mean, when we talk about memory hole today, I will argue that it's... Not what I think of when I think of a reality show, right? Yeah, but I mean, in some ways, like news shows are reality shows too. It's talking about what has happened in the world and giving a perspective on it. Okay. I think that there's value in that as art. I think that there's there's some pawn stars that I used to watch. There were some myth busters. There were some uh, dirty jobs, you know, stuff like that. Okay, look at you go. When I think of reality, I'm like, you know, Big Brother, I'm like drama, sleeping together, you know, somebody gets injured on set and can't do the show anymore. What Big Brother are you watching? There are cameras everywhere. There's no way they can make Whoopi. At least, I mean, I'm using your terminology, Grandpa, but I don't, (laughs) and again, that's competition. There's stories out there that could be told. There's fun experiences that we can throw it to people. And Quibi certainly wanted to take advantage of that market. I mean, we talked a little bit about what Quibi's strategy could have been on a content level. You know, they have the dramas to get in the prestige. They have the competition to get people excited and hopefully get people coming back week after week or day after day. The reality shows, I feel like, have a similar purpose to the competition in that we can make them on the cheap. We can bring in some fun talent, and then we can leave with our heads held high, depending on the show that we are talking about. I mean, for the most part so far, that's what Quibi has been. Pay the talent a lot of money and make the show for cheap. Yes. And we're going to be talking about one of those cheap shows right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. The world's greatest movie star. The world's greatest lover. The person who screams the most out of anyone that has ever lived. 
These are some things that Adam Devine uses to describe himself, and one of those things are things that I use to describe him. <laughs> Early on in Quibi's run, he debuted Bad Ideas with Adam Devine. This is sort of your typical travelogue show. Go to a, a different location, try something new. We really consider him our generation's Anthony Bourdain, right? Yeah, only more talented as a chef. Adam Devine is? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a perfectly accurate statement. So Adam Devine of Workaholics fame, for people that aren't familiar with him. Um, Bad Grandpa as well, I believe. Bad Grandpa's the jackass one. Dirty Grandpa, and I think that's Zac Efron. So congratulations, Ian. You're wrong on multiple counts. Wait, wait, wait. But <laughs> Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey or Audrey? Wow. It's Ian. Audrey. Aubrey? Have you taken meds to make you more senile today or? No, I think I just, is it Audrey or Aubrey Plaza? Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza was in a movie with Adam Devine. <laughs> Called Mike, Mike and right. Dave Need Wedding Dates, and which also has Zac also Efron. Zac Efron in it. And it was right before she was in Dirty Grandpa with Zac Efron, both of which took places on a beach. I'm pretty sure that Dirty Grandpa happened before Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Whatever. They were right next to each other, and they were basically the same movie. I think it's ironic that the reality question of Quibi has Ian the most detached from reality that I think I've ever seen him. Oh, why? Just because I'm drinking coconut water? <laughs> Up here on my mountain in my clouds? No, it's just that you can't get a single fact right. So... <laughs> Ian, do you like the sort of travelogue show? Do you like a good Stanley Tucci out in Italy kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. I just don't seek it, I guess. I mean, even uh, like Conan O'Brien when he goes out and about, whatever that show is called. Um, you know, I watch it and I enjoy it. I haven't seen all of it and I haven't tried to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just very background stuff to me. It's a thing where you can hopefully invest just enough in it to see something cool. And I think that's kind of what Quibi was going for. Make something that's six minutes, hopefully something fun happens to keep your attention, and then we move on to the next day. The general premise of Bad Ideas with Adam Devine is Adam Devine goes somewhere, there is a celebrity guest that he does some sort of kind of dangerous activity with. Some of them are more dangerous than others. I would say that the one episode where he is learning how to do action stunts with Rebel Wilson was about as low stakes of a action reality show as I may have ever seen. But then there's the episode where he is driving 96 miles down a one-lane road with hairpin turns using an old ice cream truck with Anders Holm, where I legitimately thought there is a chance that he could die. Oh, yeah. And he didn't know how to drive stick shift, I believe. So he was learning on the way. And we found out at the end that he had the emergency brake engaged the entire time. That's right. But then there were the low stakes episode of staying in a haunted house and just kind of messing with someone that seemed to genuinely believe in it when he didn't. Mm -hmm. And then the high stakes episode of cleaning snakes out of a decommissioned plane and drinking decades old liquor. So this was one of the ones where I was like, all of this is planted. 
it seemed like every single snake on that plane was there for Adam and Brent Morin to find. I didn't buy a second of that because basically they're going, they're at an airplane hangar graveyard. And the idea is, oh, there's maybe some snakes that hang out in these decommissioned planes. But every snake had a close-up. He seemed to know what everyone was. There were cameras that were already set up in the areas in which they are entering, which is such a big pet peeve of mine, honestly, (laughs) for reality. Like when somebody is poking their head up from the floor and there's a camera that's already right there, that's that's not that's not real. I need real. That could be a reason why I don't gravitate towards reality shows because I've worked on plenty of unscripted TV in my four years in New York and then, you know, Natalie working on 90 Day Fiance while we lived here. And a lot of it is fake or predetermined or, you know, they have a crazy premise like this, but it's as controlled as possible, you know, or they, they're like, oh, that was great, but the cameras are off. Could you say that again? And yeah. then react even more so? It felt a lot at times like if Jackass was sponsored by State Farm, where you never felt like yep. anyone was in any real danger, but they had this sort of air of danger around them. When you see something like Jackass, and you see people putting themselves in real harm constantly. And then you see something like this. There is no real sense of excitement to me, at least. I don't know. Do you feel the same way? A lot of the show was like, I've got an idea. Let's do this stupid thing. And then they do it. So when they get there and this crazy thing isn't as crazy as they thought it'd be, He's like, oh, I know how to make it worse, which makes it feel very manufactured, right? Yeah. So if you're watching this show, you're really tuning in for Adam Devine. Like, you're a fan of his. You like the face he makes where he's like, (laughs) oh, and his lips like turn up. You know what I'm saying? I know. He like squints his eyes. He's like, oh. And uh, I do have a friend that PA'd for him once. Apparently, very down-to-earth guy, super nice. That's nice. Right. But it feels a little bit like somebody who's rich and has nothing to lose or nothing to gain and is just kind of going into places and poking around just to try to get a reaction out of whatever's there. Mm Mm-hmm. But there is some sort of, like, lack of desire to upset the real balance of a situation while also still kind of feeling weirdly invasive and offensive to the places that he was entering. I'm thinking about the last episode of the seven that we watched is him and Anders Holm wrangling piranhas. And he talks a lot in the episode about Oh, we don't know what we're doing, so we're going to try a bunch of stuff, and we're going to shove meat down the pants of this dummy, and we're going to see if we can catch any piranhas. But it's also in a piranha park where they clearly have a handle on everything that is happening there. And so you get the sense that they are entering this sort of lake where there are these piranhas, and he definitely gets bit at one point 
by piranhas. But there is no sense that they are going to accomplish anything. And so therefore, they're just kind of invading this space, talking about it, talking about how weird the situation is, but also not adding much to the place that they are visiting. No, because, I mean, what I liked about the highlight of that episode (laughs) was probably when he was holding a piranha in his hand and they put meat next to it and it started gnawing on the meat. I was like, that's kind of interesting and cool. Because I thought that piranha was dead. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I thought it was dead. I don't think when it, I think it was moving its jaw when they put it up to the meat. They did. And that was the, that's what I'm saying. That was like a nice surprising thing because oh, he yeah. like makes kissy faces next to the piranha and you're like, okay, so this piranha is probably dead. And so he's now staging this. But then when the piranha actually did sort of a last reach for the meat that they put next to it, I was like, oh, okay, there is some sense of danger here. I'm willing to bet he was told some kind of fish trick, like, because it wasn't wiggling around in his hand or whatever. I know nothing about fish. I haven't fished since I was 13. But I think (laughs) if you, like, cover their gills or something, they'll stay still. It could Hmm. be something like that, where the guy was like, look, if you hold the piranha, hold it like this, okay? (laughs) Then it'll chill. But... That is what this show is lacking to me more than anything is the fact that they go into these different places. Going back to dirty jobs, it's like he interviews the people that actually do the jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And they tell him what's crazy about doing the job and then he does it and we get to experience it with him. Whereas this was kind of like, all right, this is a body of water filled with piranhas. Go, uh... Do every dumb thing you can think of, I guess. And, uh, you know, if you wear a meat thong into the lake, then only be in there for 10 seconds, okay? Mm-hmm. Don't stay any longer. Please. There is this one other show. You were talking about Dirty Jobs. The one show other than Jackass that this reminded me of was, have you heard of the show 101 Places to Party Before You Die? Uh, Yes, a potentially one-and-done show. I know. I hope that it doesn't get canceled, though, because I just— You love Adam Pally. I love Adam Pally. John Gabris is wonderful. He's on Comedy Bang Bang a lot. I've always liked him. But you haven't watched it before? Because, honestly, I thought—as soon as I heard of it, I was like, this may end up on the podcast at some point. I'll save it for then. Fair enough. The general premise of the show, though, is these two guys are going to a different city every week, and they go to a few different places to drink and eat, and, you know, they get tattoos, and they hang out with locals, but it really gives you a sense of place when they go to a different location, Mm -hmm. and they are genuinely trying new things while definitely certainly putting themselves in precarious situations. And they are very clearly drinking heavily and getting high and experiencing these things to the fullest. And there's just this sort of like arm's reachness to bad ideas with Adam Devine, where it never feels like anything can get too close to him or the people that are participating with him in stuff, it just felt like there was this kind of disconnect that left me feeling unengaged with the activities that he was participating in. 
Yeah, the most real thing probably felt like the uh, demolition derby to me because one of the races they did was like a double-decker car where Blake Anderson from Workaholics was... It was a double-decker car, and Blake was doing the gas and the brakes, and then the second tier of car was Adam steering it. And because the person on the bottom is doing the acceleration, then you know the person on top... He took a turn too quickly, and the thing fell over. And that... I don't know. That seemed real. Also, it did seem like some of the Demolition Derby uh, people were like, let's show these Hollywood idiots whose boss, you know, and wanted to specifically destroy their cars, which I was I was fine with. Yeah. So that was the second episode. And it set me up to think maybe things really would be more intense or stupid or dangerous. And but it was the height of it. Really. I fully agree because then the next one is that stunt person episode where they're like doing bits even at the beginning with the stunt person and he's like hey look at me i'm gonna break this bottle over your head stunt person and the stunt person's like oh don't do that i wouldn't like that and it was clearly very scripted and stuff like that and it just got stale so fast i'm wondering how much of that was how much Rebel Wilson was willing to do. (laughs) Like, she wasn't going to go to the Piranha Place. She wasn't going to eat the peppers with Thomas Middleditch. She wasn't going to even pretend to get snakes out of a plane, let alone go to the middle of the desert. So the idea of this episode was they would learn how to do three stunts, which mostly Adam did, and she didn't really do. She was just there to make jokes, if you can call them that. (laughs) And uh, then later they show you the movie that they made with some added in material. And, uh, you know, that episode was, I thought that was at least like kind of a fun premise that if they were more gung-ho about it, it could have been really cool. Where they're like, okay, we're going to learn the stunts and then we're going to do the stunts and then you're going to see the movie that we make so you can see some behind the scenes hollywood and then you know see the end product it could have been cool you know i don't think that it was no because that would have implied that there was some sort of educational element to it which that was clearly True. never the intention behind any of the things that they were ultimately doing like you said they're just kind of people that are placed into a manufactured situation in order to see how loudly I think they can scream at things. Which <laughs> Adam Devine is a very good screamer. I will give him that. Oh, yeah. Top notch. I love him in Righteous Gemstones. I will put that out there right now. Yeah, I don't think Adam Devine is a bad performer or anything. I think one of the things that Adam Devine really needs is somebody to play off of. And I think they've given him a few different chances by they, I mean, Hollywood. There have been a few different Adam Devine reality shows or comedy shows. Like there's like an Adam Devine's House Party, which was a Comedy Central show for a little while where it was kind of a stand-up kind of party idea. It's playing off of this workaholics persona that he has definitely cultivated. He's a very high-energy performer. And I think the thing that works with something like workaholics is that he has Anders Holm and he has Blake Anderson to sort of 
ground him and sort of play off of the different dimensions of each other in a way that feels sort of like there's a kinship to it. Now that I think about it, that's sort of a big differential between like something like this and something like Jackass too. Jackass isn't fun because they are doing crazy stuff. Jackass is fun because there's a bunch of friends that are hanging around and they are egging each other on and they're making fun of each other and they're getting each other into stupid stuff, but it has this sort of camaraderie to it. And that's, I think, something that's missing when you just move on episode to episode, week by week to a different person with a different energy. Yeah, I think that the plane episode and the piranha episode were the best slash worst examples of (laughs) him just trying to make something happen. Like, hey, you're a kid, you're in this situation, what are, what's the worst idea you have right now? What's the most mischievous thing you could get yourself into currently? And, you know, sometimes it was fun, and sometimes it seemed uh, like in poor taste. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't like overly offended by anything, it just reeked of, you're an entitled dude, and you could just you can just do whatever ever you want, and I'm sure the crew is laughing. I think the perfect example of that is this episode where he is driving down a really dangerous road with Anders Holm. So the premise of that is there's this 96 or 93 mile road between somewhere and this very small town in Peru, and he's like, I heard that they didn't have a Dairy Queen within 3,000 miles, so I'm going to deliver ice cream to this town. And they go down this road, and there's things that happen. They run into some cows that they are trying to get around. And then they get to the town, and they're like, hey, nobody's here. And Adam Devine is just, like, screaming into a microphone, kids, we got helado. Helado, come and get the helado. And there's, like, one kid that shows up. And then he's just, like, throwing ice cream at a bunch of kids. He's like, look at me. I'm throwing ice cream. And you're like, this is like where people live, man. And you're just kind of shoving sweets at them for your own enjoyment. See, I thought that that part was actually not as bad where like they clearly wrangled the kids, told them to go to the bottom of those stairs. And then we're like, okay, now everyone run up the stairs and he'll give you ice cream. And more so for me, it was when they were stopped by those cows on the road. Why did they stop with those cows on that narrow road? But also I was like, these guys are just there like working, living their lives. And you're, you know, being some idiot comedian trying to get their cows out of the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that was another thing where there was a camera crew there with the cows. So that I felt like was definitely a plant because... For the rest of that shoot, you only had cameras within the car within those two guys. And then there was a camera crew with the cows. So I bet they just took some guys who had cows, put them on this road just so they could have this interaction. And again, yeah, there's no I, I stakes to you that. mean, but if it's a very narrow road like that and someone had to stop with cows, then you'd probably have to stop. And then you'd be like, screw it. Let's just film this. So it, it could be either. I don't know. There was an overhead shot. I know what you're talking about. But there was a camera crew with like the cows looking in on the car where there wasn't that for the rest of the time. It was just mm-hmm. the cameras in the car. 
So well, there, but there was at the uh, town at the end. So yeah, it would have been following them or whatever. Well, we've talked a lot about this show already, but I think we've got a few Dunzos to give out. Yes, it's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the atomist, it could be the divinest, whatever it may be. We have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Each of us, for each Quibi show, get one Dunzo to give out. Ian, what is your Dunzo that you are bestowing upon these bad, bad ideas? I give the most produced moment award to the haunted house they were staying in. <laughs> Looked like they literally did set decoration to yeah. it. Like the curtains that were hung up, uh, the way it was filmed, the lighting, you know, in the premise was that they spend 12 hours in a haunted house. It didn't seem that way at all. Nope. You know, and uh, that was by far the weakest uh, episode to me, including uh, the first episode was eating hot peppers at a contest with Thomas Middleditch. And it was clearly a contest set up for them. It's not like they went to some big pepper eating contest. They're like, no, we're going to the Bahamas. We'll hire a restaurant to set up some chairs and tables and we'll eat and we'll puke with some, some locals that can handle it. And the editing on that episode, it's one of Quibi's problems where it felt like a lot of the show was filler and then they cut past a lot of the fun parts, which would be like the reactions to the peppers. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, uh, it's weird. Some of this Quibi stuff, man, some of this Quibi (laughs) stuff is weird. John, uh, what's your Dunzo? My Dunzo Award actually has to do with that pepper episode, and it is Best Pepper Name. And that goes to the Trinidad Scorpion, which was the eighth and final round of this pepper-eating contest. So Thomas Middleditch, I'm surprised, actually made it through six rounds of these eight. And then he would smell the seventh one and was just like, no, I'm out. Yeah. And the seventh one was a ghost pepper. And so this Trinidad Scorpion was the sort of most hot. And again, it was at least nice to see a sort of genuine reaction to something. You know, I don't need to see somebody vomit unless it's in Triangle of Sadness, but I do appreciate that he was doing something in that way. And again, it sort of set me up for, oh, this could be a fun sort of way to explore different things in different areas. But again, after that second episode where the demolition derby happened. It just kind of fell off. So Ian, with all of that being said, would you renew? I am pulling a first for this show and I am completely changing my mind from how I came in here to now. And I would not renew because when I was watching it, I was like, it's easy. It's stupid. It's silly enough. He's got a big enough fan base. Okay, renew, whatever. But the more we talk about it, I'm like, this is not good. I'm sorry I ruined your experience with and it. And screw it. He doesn't deserve more of this. Also, <laughs> it just kind of ended. There was no like... Well, I mean, to be fair, that's reality. That's life. It just ends. 
usually I feel like there's like some last episode where they set up a kind of bigger thing. But for this, it was just like they went to the piranha farm. Uh, he walked in with the meat thong. He walked out. And then the show was just over, which was weird. So, you know what? No. No more. No more of this. More righteous gemstones, less of this. John, would you renew? In a shock to everyone. No, no, I wouldn't. No. I No, thanks. <laughs> no, no, thanks. Again, it just sort of kept moving and the sort of lack of investment in the overall premise of the show just mm-hmm. made me feel like there isn't anything worth mining here. You know, it didn't feel like anything that they did was inspired or interesting. Honestly, the only thing that I hadn't seen before was that double-decker demolition derby thing. And that lasted about two minutes because, hey, it's one-third of a quibby. So it just kept moving, and it just didn't have any legs to it, I don't think. And again, the fact that there didn't feel like there was that drive from the people behind it to create something interesting, there's no reason for me to keep investing my life into it. All right, then. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we will come back with the Will Arnett starring Memory Hole. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Ian Hamilton, your co-host of One and Done TV, asking you to please write us a review, give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you use. John and I work extra hard to give you the research, the friendship, the opinions, some comedy, and to give light on this subject matter that we love so dearly. Please be sure to help us out, and now enjoy the show. This is the part of the show where I would do a Will Arnett voice. I don't know, does that sound okay? Does that That's Is that a Will good. Arnett? Thank you. I mean, it's a cheap Will Arnett, but it is his oeuvre... It is his essence. What is your Will Arnett? What does that sound like? Oh, what's the episode of Arrested Development where he's reading the menu to uh, Liza Minnelli? Chicken fingers with club sauce. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's that's beautiful. what I think of when I think of his like commercial voice. It's a good one. He's the voice of many a brand, and he was also the voice of Memory Hole, Um, He actually had a face there, too. Memory Hole is sort of a different type of reality show in my eyes. It speaks to this other investment that Quibi had to create both like news content and content that commented on pop culture. Essentially, Memory Hole was Quibi's version of something like The Soup, except it was a little bit more thematic. It wasn't sort of joke to joke to joke. Each episode had a sort of idea behind it. And as they described it in the intro to the show, the memory hole is a region of pop culture history so painful that no light can escape from it. So it was essentially bad pop culture or embarrassing pop culture. 
at one point he says, we take the moments that time forgot and make you want to re-forget them. The first episode uh, is, if there's a title, which I don't know there is, it's Rap is Not a Sport, yeah. which chronicled the fact that the Super Bowl shuffle done by the 1985 Bears then spawned a lot of copycat raps created by sports teams. Mm-hmm. Which, like, the Rams made one that was, like, so explicit and copywritten. It was called Let's Ram It. Yeah. They had to get the uh, Game of Thrones actor to John Bradley. Come, yeah. Right. Who plays, like, the the nerd, I guess. Sam Tarley. Right. And he comes in and he, like, Shakespearean reads the lyrics to it. And it was, like... There were so many innuendos in that rap, it was almost straight porn for the ears. <laughs> Ear porn. Yeah, Wonderful they did thing. one by like the uh, Calgary Flames, I think, that was, he said, was more of just like a list of things to do and how hard it is to do them. It's this classic rock anthem that was called Red Hot. And I think that that is sort of the angle that was taken to make Memory Hole a little bit more unique was that they tried to tie everything back to something more uniquely Canadian, which I appreciated as somebody that enjoys Canada, but doesn't know too much about Canadian pop culture history. Right. Like episode three was all about the opening of Toronto Sky Dome. Oh, my God. Which was the first stadium with a fully retractable roof as opposed to a partially retractable roof. <laughs> and this episode was mostly about the sort of ceremony spectacular that they had to open the stadium with, right? Yeah, it was an entire program that was essentially a Super Bowl halftime show spread out into an entire like one and a half hour live event spectacular. Think about the fireworks uh, show that... They did in the first season of 30 Rock, except real and <laughs> about a stadium. And it was hosted by Alan Thicke and Andrea Martin. And mm-hmm. it commented on all the weird stuff that happened during it. Like there was this Broadway montage with original lyrics that were all about all the different purposes that you could use the stadium for. And it also ended kind of tragically because the roof opened up and rain came down and they couldn't close the roof or they refused to close the roof. So people were just getting poured on. I think what happened was that the show started with the roof closed. And despite the fact that it was raining, the fact that the roof could open up was like the big sell. (laughs) So weather be damned they opened the roof anyway and all of these performers got rained on for like an hour i know so that's generally the show though you introduce this idea have a little bit of fun talking about like super bowl halftime shows but the bulk of it is about this sort of bigger event that we look back on in shame Right. And physically, it is Will Arnett standing in front of a green screen, you know, reading funny things that someone else definitely wrote. And then, you know, next to him on the screen are all the clips that he's talking about. It's not a unique premise, right? There are plenty of shows like this. No, but none of them were created by anyone that was named Scott Vrooman. 
Wait, Scott Vrooman? V-R-O-O-M-A-N. Vrooman. The Sausage King of Chicago? <laughs> Abe Vrooman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, who's Scott Vrooman? I can't remember. Not anyone of too much note. He wrote on Patriot Act with Asana Minaj, and that was really the only major credit I saw from him. He also wrote on Cal Penn's show that I think was on CNN. What did... I think make this show different than other shows that came before it was usually it ended with a little sketch or something like that. Like the first one ended with Will Arnett performing as one of the Calgary Flames, a never before heard third verse of their song. Um, One of the episodes was about a Lassie type show in Canadian television and about a dog solving very it wasn't mysteries. It was like helping people solve problems. Yeah. And the, the dog ends up tackling this boy in a wheelchair in order to save his life at the end of one episode. And they reenact the, uh, director and the producer behind the scenes, making the decision to just throw the dog at the kid, which is probably what happened. Ignore any animal safety laws Ignore anything about you shouldn't throw dogs at children (laughs) in the face, by the way, knocking them over. Honestly, anything over 10 pounds, you shouldn't throw at children as an adult. I can't stress how much this is exactly what must have happened. They show this clip and there's literally no other physical explanation for the trajectory that this dog takes at this boy who is rolling down a hill in a wheelchair other than they threw the dog. That was so funny. Another episode is about how Apple created this like small, I don't even know if it was an internal sitcom. Oh, are you trying to sell windows 95? Right. And it starred Matthew Perry and Jennifer Aniston. So strange. This show really, it just highlights, really weird little things that they talked about for four or five minutes and then they do a scene at the end and then it was over. It was fun. Yeah. I will say that it was Macintosh is windows 95. Oh my God. You're right. You're right. They even showed the uh, Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer dancing video in that episode, which will Arnett says it's as if they were dancing at a pep rally for virginity. (laughs) So there were good lines, I think, in this show regularly. They they had fun, interesting things to say about these very weird circumstances. I really liked the episode where they talked about Jim Cotta. Have you heard of Jim Cotta, the movie? If I have, it's because you've brought it up once before. Or maybe Robbie, I don't know. It's such a weird premise for a movie. They talk about how there are these long-forgotten martial arts, and one of them was Jim Kata, spelled G-Y-M, Kata, which was this movie, I think from the 80s, where they tried to make this famous gymnast a movie star, and so the entire premise of it is that he has this martial arts skill that is combined with gymnastics. And so he'll go on a bar and he'll 
swirl around it a couple times and kick somebody in the face on his way down. The way they phrased it was he was kicking ass, backflipping ass, and cartwheeling ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of culminates in this uh, chase where he goes on a pommel horse and is just kicking people while on the pommel horse that is supposedly in the middle of this village in this vaguely Eastern European town where oh, he it's also, a made up nation. That's yes. right. He runs the gauntlet of the most unflattering camera angles as they describe it too. And there were some, there was one of him doing a handstand and the camera angle was from above and it was just right over his crotch. Yeah. At one centimeter to the left or the right, John, and there's tragedy. You got an X-rated movie right there. Yeah. I did like the way that they dove into these very obscure things. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but I learned so much about pop culture from the past from I love the 70s, I love the 80s, I love the 90s, those shows on VH1 where they would just get a murderer's row of comedians to just comment on things from their childhood. And Mm -hmm. it gave me such a great perspective and gave me so much knowledge, I feel like, about these times that I did not live through. Yeah. I mean, it was what I listened to Ken Jennings' podcast for, Omnibus, which is just for strange things that happened. And there's a strong historical record for them. And yet... We don't bother teaching them because why would we, you know, Mm -hmm. like things happen and everyone else just moves on and forgets about things, but they re teach us and then make us re forget them. Just like (laughs) the premise of the show says, even just taking the fitness craze of the eighties after Jane Fonda made a ton of money with her workout videos, then being like, look at all of these other ridiculous celebrity fitness or sexuality embracing videos, if you include Angela Lansbury's. Who ends up in a tub and she's just talking about how great life is. I also liked uh, Teen Sweat with Alyssa Milano. Oh, so weird. Yeah, where it was Alyssa Milano when she was a teenager and as Will Arnett comments... The filmmaker must have been arrested for statutory cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, camera angles do be like that <laughs> sometimes. It's what we call the male gaze, John. A lot, of, a lot of filmmaking discussion about that. Speaking of other things we need to talk about, I think it's time for a Dunzo Award. Yes, we have one more superlative to give out to Memory Hole. Ian, what is your Dunzo Award? Mine is the Intellectual Property Award, which goes to (laughs) this show and everyone that accuses it of plagiarism. (laughs) Uh, So the show is called Memory Hole, which I guess is a reference to George Orwell's 1984. It's a phrase that's set in there. I don't remember what it's from, but I did see 1984 on Broadway with the guy that plays Sandman now. Quite good. Quite scary. Okay. I'll take I'll take your word for it because honestly, I saw him on Broadway twice. I don't like him. I'm not watching Sandman because of it. 
He's not bad. We he saw 1984 me. together. You didn't like it? I don't like him. Oh, okay. The play was fine. Yeah. It was cool. It was loud. So this show was accused of plagiarism by a podcast that said that they stole their logo. Or not a podcast, a YouTube channel. Hmm. And I looked it up. And you know what? That logo is taken from other things that use similar logos before it. So look, guys, sometimes you start a podcast in 2015. Sometimes you make a logo for it. Sometimes seven years later, when you're rebooting said podcast, someone else has stolen that name and almost that exact same logo. And you know what you do? You move on and you badmouth them without directly saying who they are. Okay? But- also, it's just like, it's not that original of an idea, all right? No. The, ty- the logo wasn't that original. The premise isn't original. Shows like this and logos like that have been made for decades. Get over yourselves. Quibi's not going to pay you out for this, guys. It's okay. <laughs> and I'm all about the little guy, okay? I do think that, you know, big companies can't just come in and steal uh, other people's ideas, but... They got to let this one uh, rest because if you Google memory hole, either the George Orwell thing comes up or the plagiarism thing comes up. And I don't think this show really deserves that. I would agree with that. There's nothing too unique about this show or this premise to have anything to latch onto when it comes to property theft or in my eyes, unless they get sued for using unauthorized clips, which... Again, these clips are so obscure that I don't see anyone grabbing after them. Right. You go back and you listen to both (laughs) Napoleon Dynamite cartoon episodes and you see who did a better job. That's the one that wins. John, what is your Dunzo Award? Yeah, we're still talking about Memory Hole. My Dunzo Award is the Hey Brother Award. (laughs) And that goes to the sheer joy that I had seeing Jason Bateman pop up at the end of one of these episodes. So there was an episode about like PSAs or very special episodes. And there was a pro abstinence PSA from the 80s that starred Jason Bateman along with his sister, Justine Bateman. So unsettling, but really funny to re-explore and Jason Bateman pops up at the end of it sort of commenting on it and as he says just say no to anything less than six figures no he says if they ask you to do a PSA just say no for anything less than six figures (laughs) yes (laughs) it made me happy I am a huge smartless listener and I've loved those guys since Arrested Development. It was just a, a treat to see him pop up in that way. You know, I tried getting into Smartless. I was in it for a while because they get really big guests on that other podcasts don't get. But going back to the intellectual property thing, <laughs> they're part of this troubling trend with podcasting to me where it's like celebrities start a podcast and they do what everyone else in podcasting has been doing for 12 years and acting like they invented it. And for that reason, I'm out. I think that they are incredibly charming and fun together. So No, they're really fun. Happy. I just honestly, I, I don't care for them as interviewers. It's 
this thing. And they're not the only ones that do it. There's a lot of celebrity podcasts that do this. So like, so I'm interested in like, how did you start acting? And you're like, yeah, dude, if you, if you're a fan of this person and you want to go down, like listening to interviews with them, they're getting to questions you've already heard answered a million times. And I still like Smartless. It's just, it's a big criticism I have of it. Yeah. And Conan, for that matter. I love Conan, still. It's never insightful, but it's always fun to listen to. Sure. But let's go back to Memory Hole. Ian, would you renew? I would renew. I thought this was like what Quibi is for. Yeah. Honestly, this was like perfect, fun, bite-sized nuggets of interesting, silly, something new to me. And, uh, you know, charming host that can deliver jokes well. I read a review that said that only half the jokes landed, but I completely disagree. Even if you don't laugh at everything that is being said, every little comment or every little thing that they're highlighting about the subject matter, that's not the point. You don't have to laugh at everything they say. It's just a fun show. Get over yourself. John, would you renew? Hell yeah, brother. I thought it was a blast. I remember watching this show actually when I did have Quibi, because I think this came out right when Quibi started. And when I was rewatching it for this, I got to a point, honestly, where I saw the title of the next episode and I got excited because I remembered that general topic. And even though I knew the thing that they were going to be talking about, it still landed and the jokes were still funny and it was cool to examine that again. I just think it was really tight. It was really well-structured. It uh, made me happy. I think no Quibi show is very long, but this clipped by faster than any of the ones I feel like that we have watched thus far. I mean, each episode, I think it's like five minutes, if that. I think this was the only show we watched that I didn't feel like there was somehow filler in six minutes worth of (laughs) entertainment. Whenever we are reviewing stuff on One and Done, I think if you've listened to a lot of our episodes, you'll know that I tend to grade things on a show is trying to be something. I usually give it extra points for being what it's trying to be. And this show is exactly what it's supposed to be. And it does it well, and it does it fast, and it does it funny, and I have nothing to criticize it for, honestly. No. Honestly, check it out on Roku. It's really fun. Yeah, I wish there was more. Yeah, me too. It does make me think about one thing, which we can discuss more after this commercial break when we talk about Quibi in general. And now a word from our sponsors. We are on to part three of our Quibi journey. If you want to hear about the origins of Quibi, listen to our competition episode. If you want to hear about the launch of Quibi, listen to our drama episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the sort of decline of Quibi in its very short life after it premiered in April of 2020, which, again, perfect time to introduce anything to the world. (laughs) One of the biggest things that was happening 
with Quibi or one of the biggest quibbles with Quibi was nice. That, thank you. Quibi was designed Good as a quip. Mo- shut up. It was <laughs> it was founded as a mobile first platform. Not just mobile first, mobile only platform. There was no way to watch Quibi on anything other than a mobile device. Part of it was this proprietary technology where you could watch it in either vertical mode or in landscape. It was also just kind of what it was designed for. You watch it quickly when you are on the bus, especially if it's hashtag free Rayshon. Great movie to watch on the bus as we discussed last <laughs> week. People were honestly annoyed that you could not get Quibi on your TV. There was no way to access it unless you were casting it. And I don't even think that that was possible at the time. It seems so weird to me to have something that purposefully shuts out a way to consume this content. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do, what do you feel about that? Do you think that there is something that can work just as mobile or do you see any other business case for making it? It seems strange to shut out a way for people to watch it and consume the entertainment that you are providing. But at the same time, we are in the years of niche audiences here. We're not trying to get 20 million views every Thursday night on Friends. We're just trying to get a loyal following of 200,000 people, well, a million people to tune in every week, right? So I have to think that their thought process was they are cornering the mobile entertainment market Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you can watch stuff from netflix on your phones sometimes you can do it while in the shower john Mm -hmm. but that's not how netflix is made to be consumed right it's more cinematic it's made to be watched on a bigger screen and then they condense it down onto your phone so i think that's what they were going for was like this isn't something that's made to be watched elsewhere and we're shrinking it down. This is made for the thing that billions of people have in their pockets that they are checking out a hundred times a day. Like that's the niche. Two billion people have access to it. You know, like throughout the day when they're in the bathroom, when they're on the bus, when they are excusing themselves from a social event that they don't want to attend to go to another room to watch something on their phone, right? Yeah. I think that they were cornering this market. I just feel like they miscalculated the sort of niche to mass markets formula here because they were making stuff seemingly for everybody and they wanted this to be the thing that was going to deliver mobile-only content to a mass market. But what they didn't understand was that the mass market likes versatility, and they like to have the choice to be able to consume things how they want to consume things in the moment that they want to consume it. Yes, and if I want to consume something in the moment, but I'm at home, I'm not watching it on my phone. No. Because I'm probably wanting to watch something, for example, like a reality show. I want to be playing games on my phone while I'm half consuming something stupid like Bad exactly. Ideas. Exactly. We so, are in the two-screen era. 
I want to be playing Mario Kart Tour and kind of paying attention to what's in front of me. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was a big quibble with Quibi. And really, one of that was one of the biggest ones in addition to people weren't going out. People didn't really want to be watching stuff on their phones. They didn't really have the interest in exploring an entirely new experience. I talked a little bit, I think, last time about how they had this 90-day trial period, which got them a lot of signups in their early days. I just read that there was a report that said that Quibi day one 90 trial users, can you guess how many of them converted to being paid users after that trial was over? I'm going to go 15%. I'm going low. 27 Still quite low. Very low. I mean, any show that we've talked about on this podcast where if they said that their audience had dropped off 75% between episode one and episode two, it's over. It's canceled. It's one and done TV, baby. Or one and done Quibi. (laughs) One and done platforms. That's what we're here for. And so where do you think this reality concept fits into this thing. I guess, do you think that there is a sustainable way for reality shows to thrive on this mobile only platform, given everything that we just talked about? So this is our third genre we've covered of Quibi content. And I think it is the most translatable content. I would Um, agree with that. Watching these two shows really made me see I think what Quibi was trying to do because mm-hmm. I was watching those and I was like, there's no reason that these can't just be their own YouTube channels. Cheaply made. Will Arnett runs it. He owns everything and they just do it. Right. And he could do probably 10 or 20 of them in a day and they rent out a studio, you know, for a week and he pays a writer and a crew and that's it. So what I think they're trying to do was I was like, take YouTube as a, as a business. I know it's owned by Google, but it generates a massive amount of income, right? Billions yeah. and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it splits that revenue with the people that create the content, right? In a way that mostly screws over the creators of that, but they do still get a piece of that ad revenue. Right, right. That was I was that was my next point. But yes. Oh, okay. So what Quibi was doing, I think I haven't read this, I haven't heard Jeffrey Katzenberger say this, but they must have seen what YouTube gets per year and thought we could bank on a quarter of that. We get all of it and we just pay people to make content so that when the numbers do exceed the million dollars we paid for the show, then we have all the ownership over everything coming in. Am I explaining that well? No, I think that that makes sense. It is pure ownership. It is something that gives them a little bit more control. And I think what they miscalculated for sure as part of that was this idea that people are going to want to pay for that. I think they thought about the revenue that was coming in without giving people enough of a differentiating factor to deliver something that they couldn't get for free in that way. 
I think there were a couple ideas that Quibi had that could have worked to help with this sort of, especially the reality model. Like they partnered with 60 Minutes and they had a 60 in six series where they did six minute, 60 minute segments essentially. I think that's something that's more sustainable that could deliver on the sort of news that people would want to consume. You know, something that's a little bit more polished, a little bit more in depth and gives people more constant updates. But again, you have this on this platform. What's to say that you can't subscribe to a daily news YouTube channel or a daily news podcast or something like that that gives you a quick hit of something that you can engage with passively. But when you have something that's just on your phone, you basically have to engage with it actively because, you know, I guess you could be doing other things, but you're you're paying more attention, I think, to it. It's, yeah. it's a weird sort of conundrum that they set themselves up for. Yeah, it is. I think YouTube, for the most part, is something you have to pay attention to when something is on and you're looking at your phone otherwise. So you have to fully pay attention to your phone. What do you have to half pay attention to? The air? Can't do that. Air's not that interesting. Right. And this isn't a situation where it's like, oh, we can sit and watch it with our friends either and no, discuss. No, and that's another thing, the communal aspect. There's no sort of conversation. And I mean, granted, we weren't really talking to each other in the summer of 2020 anyway, but... Still, there. No, we were FaceTiming each other. We were using our phones, not watching Quimby <laughs> FaceTiming each other. Uh, yeah, you do. You lose a lot. You lose a lot by having it only be on your phones. And they filmed it the vertical way, not the vertical way. They filmed it the horizontal way, so you can stream it on Roku like we're doing right now. So, God, that is such a good point, John. I hate to compliment you. This is a really, <laughs> really good point is that the fact that it was only on the phone and you're forced to pay attention to it and you also can't really interact with other people while you're watching it. It takes away the joy of garbage television and the joy of premium television at the same time. It sucks joy. That's a quibby. <laughs> Ian, I've got a burning question for you. If you were to host a reality show, what would it be? <laughs> hot my quibby reality show would be uh fiddlin with ian hamilton <laughs> and it's not just about fiddles as in violins it's what do you fiddle with right mm. so i interview people i'm like what do you do with your hands while you're doing other things mm. right or how do you occupy your hands uh while you're while you're talking or to take your mind off of things are you whittling huh <laughs> What's your Whitlin uh, strategy here? What's the best thing you've ever, ever whittled? Are you Rubik's Cuban? How do you do that? That baffles me. Are you still using your fidget spinner? What? Oh, my God. And show me your assorted collection of fidget spinners. Okay? So it's Fiddlin with Ian Hamilton, and it's not about violins, although there will be one episode where we do interview people that are – Fiddling with fiddles. I think you struck gold. Uh, you want to know what I've been fiddling with while we've been talking? Please. Because uh, I'm a very fiddly person. I, I'm a very tactile human being that uh, needs to be... Fiddly digits, itchy britches is the lyric in the movie Frank. Right. Oh, 
God, I love Frank. I rewatched it recently. Go on. I click pens all the time when I'm on like work calls and stuff like that, just because I need something to do. Uh, during this conversation specifically, I have a hole in my sweatpants that I've been slowly picking yarn out of. Uh, so that is something to imagine, and you're welcome. I had some like therapy clay for a while that it Ooh. like smelled really good, and it was kind of like adult, you know, silly putty almost. <clears throat> but I'd be using it at work, and it would stick to my fingers. Then I couldn't really use the keyboard. So silly putty is ages two and up. You should know that, and you are up. I am up. Thank you for that compliment, John. <laughs> Speaking of, I've got a burning question for you. Of the seven bad ideas that Adam Devine took us through, I guess you could say, which one would we do together? Or is there another one we should do? Ooh, that's hot. I would definitely do the demolition derby with you i think it would be fun to sort of get hit by cars honestly like especially the word that they're strapped in you got the helmets i think it'd be like big old adult bumper cars you can customize the car yeah you can spray paint it no stakes let's have some fun the thing that adam divine didn't do that i would want to do with you arson i think it'd be really fun to burn down a building with you ian how big of a building are we talking? I'm thinking two stories at least. Um, you know, wow. I think we set off some uh, thermals. Uh, we put them on the second floor, uh, really make sure that they light up. Uh, we get some TNT in the boiler room, uh, a la Heather's. And I think that we make some fireworks happen. See some brick flying. I wonder, feel the heat uh, from our crafting work that we have done together. It seems like it would be a good team building exercise and it feels like a secret that we could keep as well, or at least I could. I'm no snitch. I mean, it depends on if the fire breaks out and if anyone or anything else is hurt by it. That guilt I could not live with, I think. No, of course. This is going to be victimless arson. John, everyone would commit arson if you could control it completely. That's why arson is such a big deal because... You light the fire, and then you don't know what's going to happen. God. I live on a razor's edge, and this I'm about to explode. quite an insight into your brain right now. I want to think that when you were sitting in school and a teacher like gave you a bad grade and you were having revenge fantasies against them, like when that one teacher accused you of plagiarism, and then when he went to show you what you plagiarized he couldn't find it and then made you write the essay again anyway mm -hmm. uh like i think this is what you were imagining you were imagining burning down his house that's what no, i know no i wasn't doing that i know bill's dead already is that true no i don't know oh. <laughs> no. oh god what about you when you were accused of well, when you were cheating, I was going to say accused of, but you were very cool. Oh, I was cheating. caught plagiarizing and twice, you, I think, in high school. And which you is threw like, the pen across. No, but I'm talking about when you threw the pen across the room and became surly. Okay, that was eighth grade. It was a pencil. I did not throw it across the room. She said, Senor, drop that pencil. So I put my hands up like, oh, I'm not doing anything. And my pencil 
came out of my hand and rolled across the table. Well, the record says otherwise, unless you burn it. And I think that's the ultimate lesson. Right, kids? Ian, where can people find us? You can burn us <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. You can set us on fire with an email, oneanddonepod at gmail.com. Uh, tell us about your revenge fantasies <laughs> against the TV networks that canceled your favorite uh, television shows. Um, I'm going to have to stop the revenge fantasies at Arson. Anything above that, you may be uh Confessing something, I have to turn over to police. We don't want diagrams. We don't want diagrams. That's right. Um, And you can always Venmo me at Hamel Chin any amount of money that you want to Venmo me. Uh, And John, honestly, I just watched Paul T. Goldman. I finished Uh. it. I think that, you know, Joe Para is amazing. The one you love is amazing too. What is it called? It's called Burn in Hell, You're My Next Victim. All right. Well, Paul T. Goldman (laughs) is a show that we can both hug with a warm blanket, even though he's kind of a creep and he made some really bad decisions. We should talk about that before our final Quibuary genre, which will be comedies. We're going to be talking about Kirby Jenner, and we are going to be talking about Flipped. Until then, flip off, flip on. Go flip yourself. Just don't watch it on a flip phone because it doesn't work there either. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.